let's face it, this year we have seen a multi-layered hit-and-run automobile accident. We have seen a man dropped 40 feet in an automobile off of a forklift. We've even seen our WWF champion, Kurt Angle, chokeslammed off of a stage. But make no doubt about it, it will come to an end in Armageddon because six men will fight for the WWF Championship in a Hell in a Cell match. Hello, my name is Chris White, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast, where we are going back in the time machine to December of the year 2000 to bring you all the month's WWF coverage, including a full review of the Armageddon pay-per-view. Joining me for this edition of the show, we have Rory McNamara. Rory, how are we doing? Very well indeed, Chris. Thank you for having me on. Looking forward to wrapping up 2000 for the WWF. Certainly been a good year for the WWF. Um, Oh, yes. I mean... A lot of grievances I've had with the company in the past seem to have gone away. And uh, I think the year 2000 has turned out to be probably a bit better than even the optimists predicted this time last year. So um, it's not been perfect, but I think we can safely say that the year 2000 has been a thumbs up for the WWF. Certainly (laughs) when compared to... uh, some of their competition. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Rory, uh, would you kindly take us through some news highlights for the month? I know it's been quite the uh, quiet one, really. Our competition. I come here to forget about all of that stuff, Chris. Please don't remind me. Uh, yes, uh, otherwise, a very quiet news month for the WWF in December. Pretty much winding down. I rather suspect they're keeping their powder dry for a big 2001. But a couple of things I did think it was worth flagging up. The very febrile ground that is a Vince McMahon interview caught my eye especially uh, it's been said that his big mouth you've never heard of such a thing is hurting xfl ad sales in an article in media week and let's be honest appearing in media week at all is more than enough for old Vinny man they said this media buyers who represent several big traditional sports advertisers that have not yet made commitments to the new xfl have a message for xfl president basil devito muzzle your boss The reason for this quote comes from a very specific utterance Vince McMahon made to ESPN magazine a couple of days beforehand. And of course, this is our direct quote. I really should try and do it in the Vince voice, but I can't hold a candle to him. So here we go. Yes, the cheerleaders will date our players. God. Yes, they'll be hot babes. Oh, God. We're going to have three or four of them surround our announcers who will be sitting in the stands. That'll be a great shot. Then when the quarterback fumbles or the wide out drops a pass and we know who he's dating, I want our reporters right back in her face on the sidelines, demanding to know whether the two of them did the wild thing last night. (laughs) So when when Vince himself said that the XFL was really standing for extra fun league, I didn't think he was standing for the extra fun. Never mind. Anyway. So, yes, in two months time when the XFL finally gets started, 
can we please just get to the fireworks factory? Then we'll see whether or not Vince McMahon was joking, as he said he was when he made that quote. I have my suspicions. Another slightly more serious Vince McMahon uh, situation came out, albeit in an interview with Playboy this month, in which he talked about one of his stepfathers who beat him when he tried to defend his mother, getting beaten up. Quote, it's unfortunate that he died before I could kill him. Indicated that his mother sexually molested him as a child. Oh, my goodness me. He expressed regret over his sexual flings over the years, but said he has been faithful to his wife the last six years. Oh, dear. Well, that's okay, then. And the only other real bit of news I've been able to glean for you this month, listener, is related to the road dog, Brian James, suspended indefinitely for reasons that are disclosed as undisclosed. I think, everybody, it's a case of the 420 meeting the P45, if you get my drift. He has, of course, made references to the Wacky Backy on the air on many occasions and, and has had made previous trips to Doug Rehab. All indications are that his recent behaviour are the reasons for his long-term suspension. He showed symptoms of a health problem <clears throat> during a flight out of Minneapolis a couple of weeks ago, and police met him and they took him off the plane, even though he hadn't done anything illegal. Again, this is currently being talked of as an indefinite suspension, but the mood music has we will not be seeing Road Dog Jesse James again for a very, very long time. Many, many months indeed he has in the future to move a few more things, if you get my drift. Thank you very much, Rory. Um, I think for me, the biggest sort of news story has to be Vince McMahon potentially doing serious cash damage to his XFL enterprise months before the thing hits our screens, which is just remarkable. Um, and just smacks of a man um, high on his own supply of success the last couple of years. Um, perhaps I should pick my words worth more carefully in lieu of the road dog story. But, um, <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, sensational stuff from Vince. Excellent quote. And I mean, if the XFL does hit our screens and we get that kind of thing on it on a regular basis and uh, that kind of crass content, then no network will ever be able to complain that they didn't know that they were getting themselves, what they were getting themselves in for. Um, it's hard to really know, kind of like, I, I, I mean, as a Brit, especially um, the XFL, like what that means to me is, is is such a minimal impact, sort of on our like sporting culture. Um, but to me, um, I'm kind of quite excited about it, and I think it's just because I'm curious to just see how far they dare go. Um, and if Vince McMahon is is a man of his word, or if he was really just joking, do we? what do you think deep down like Vince has planned for this league like are we scraping the like scraping the surface here or will we uh take a step back from kind of these kind of comments and that kind of content and maybe be a bit more of a serious sports organization well I've got another quote from that interview related to his comparisons with the NFL let's face it I wouldn't fit in the NFL I'm a bit of a maverick and somewhat of a non-conformist. With the control suit-wearing freaks in the NFL, I wouldn't fit. So there's never going to be room for me in the NFL, nor would I want it. It's too stuffy, too stodgy, and not enough fun. There he goes again with the fun. I, 
I think I know where he's headed with this, Christopher. It's certainly uh, something to look out for <laughs> with a very keen eye as we move into 2000. I think 2000. the word is rubbernecking. Be describing my interest in this one when February rolls around. Rock, we are less than a week away from one of the biggest challenges of your career, competing for the WWF title in a match you've never competed in before, a Hell in a Cell match where you and five other men Finally, The Rock has come back to New Jersey! Just as sure as for the very first time, Kevin Kelly, The Rock stood right in this arena and called you an ugly hermaphrodite. Is as sure as this Sunday night at Armageddon, The Rock will be in hell in a cell. This is gonna be the most brutal match The Rock has ever been in. The dangerousest match The Rock has ever been in. The Hell in a Cell. And it doesn't matter, Kevin Kelly, what you call it. Whether it's called a Hell in a Cell, a Rage in a Cage, Penis in Uranus, the only thing that matters is that The Rock is going in this Sunday night to do exactly what he does best, lay it the smack it down, and get back The Rock's WWF title. And the fact of the matter is this, is that The Rock knows this Sunday night he has his work cut out for him. The Rock knows he's got five other guys he's got to compete with. And even if The Rock has got to beat Kurt Angle, which means I'm going to drink a big glass of milk, eat some chocolate chip cookies, and then maybe I'll take three Viagra. Or maybe The Rock is going to face Rikishi. Beat Rikishi. I did it. For the rock. I did it for the people. I did it. I did, uh, shut your mouth, you thong wearing fatty. Or maybe even the rock has got to beat the undertaker, the American badass. Beat him so bad that one more time he'll raise up. Rest in peace. Or maybe The Rock has got to beat Triple H himself, which means uh, he's got to beat the game uh, in the middle of the ring. Uh, and he has a $2 slut for a wife. Uh. Oh, my. I can't believe he's saying this. Stephanie is not a... And there's one left. Or maybe The Rock has got a beat. Stone Cold Steve Austin, which means I gotta get in my I gotta get in my pickup truck, drink some Steve Weisers, listen to some Backstreet Boys. What? Backstreet Boys. And that's the bottom line, cause the great one said so. Backstreet Boys. Oh, Bridge Boys, maybe, but it's going to be every man for himself Sunday on pay-per-view.
And one more thing, this Sunday night at Armageddon, The Rock is gonna do all he can to win the WWF title. If you smell what The Rock is cooking. Well, as you can see, as you can hear, it's gonna be every man for himself. For the first time in history, six men inside Hell in the Cell. We do have, I think, one of my favorite segments of the whole year to talk about. And uh, a segment that I did, in fact, nominate um, for our end of year award show. Sadly, didn't make the uh, the final cuts. But as you have just heard in full, um, the backstage interview with The Rock from the 4th of December edition of Monday Night Raw. Um there's no way I could give any description of this that would do it justice and hence why you've heard the interview, the promo in full on this show. Kevin Kelly interviewing The Rock about the Hell in a Cell match at Armageddon, uh, the six-man Hell in a Cell match for the WWF title. The Rock, yeah, he points out it's his first time in a cell. Uh, it's the most brutal match he's ever seen and he wants to get back his WWF title, runs through impressions of the five men he'll face in the cell, and it's just one of the better promos I've seen. Rock cut, because he's just he's the absolute best here. It's like peak rock. Um, Rory's just a, just sensational stuff. Absolutely is. And there's very little we can say that could even come close to remotely adding anything to the majesty you've just rubbled in for the last three minutes. That said, I've got a couple of things I do want to bring up, curmudgeon that I am. Um, in our end-of-year award show, as you have mentioned there, Chris, indeed, this came very close to making it into our best segment. You nominated it. I nominated it. It missed out by one point. So everybody, blame everybody else for it not making it. But having said that, and the fact that, and if you haven't listened to our review show yet, this isn't much of a spoiler. When I say on there, it would have been a travesty if The Rock hadn't won one of, any one of our very best awards not exactly going too far off grid by saying that however especially this year there has been a bit of a format to the rocks promos and i'd just like to share it with everybody chris if there's anything i've missed here do chime in but i think this one is rather comprehensive your average rock interview goes like this look off camera while interviewer relays current situation put hand in front of interviewer wait out rocky chance say finally the rock has come back to x city Relay the relay of the current situation. If interviewer is Kevin Kelly, call into question the contents of his underpants. Come up with three rhyming or alliterative puns on forthcoming match or opponent. Tell audience said outcome will involve smack being laid down on all candy asses. Wait out further rocky chance. Make mention of any object that could be involved in forthcoming match or with forthcoming opponent. And detail how it will find its way up said opponent, candy ass. Get serious. Talk about smoke clearing and all being said and done and ask everyone if they are able to get a whiff of his current repast. I think I've covered everything there, Chris. (laughs) Yep, for sure. (laughs) And it must be said, this one did have a few sous of that. But I hope we get to see more of this kind of rock because he reverted to type again a little later in the month and the results weren't great. For example, his regal angle little ball promo was one of the worst he's cut this year and that just the week after probably his very best it's great fun he went for caricatures of his armageddon opponents but 
in doing so, he was almost able to bring out their characters. I probably could have lived without Fong wearing fatty for Rikishi. I mean, I think the poor sod needs all the help he can get right now. And being buried on Mike by the rock is not going to pull him up any. But from my very selfish perspective, that's a minor, minor complaint. I watched this with my wife, who isn't the world's biggest wrestling fan. She'll sit and watch the pay-per-views with me. But just before we watched Armageddon, I made sure we checked this out. And she was rolling in the aisles, as they say. I just think The Rock, to use an old advertising line, he refreshes the parts that other wrestlers can't reach. And never mind anything else I've got to say about this, listener. Press rewind on your listening device and just check it out again. It's one of the very best by one of the very best. I do have to point out that I thought you'd be uh, a particular fan of the Triple H. <laughs> I'll, I'll leave that to others to decide, Christopher. They'd be right <laughs> to decide that way, but yeah. I'm, I, I, look, New Year's resolution. I'm trying to stop harping on the man best I can, but no promises. So with that in the books, we move on to our review of the Armageddon pay-per-view. Rory, please could you take us through the results? I most certainly can, Christopher. So, the Armageddon pay-per-view to round off 2000. We had the Radicals defeating Team Extreme in an intergender elimination tag team match. We had William Regal defeating Hardcore Holly for the European title. Val Venus defeated China. Chris Jericho beat Kane in a last man standing match. In a fatal four-way match for the tag team titles, Edge and Christian defeated the Dudley Boys, K-Quick and Road Dog, and right to censor represented by Paul Buchanan and The Good Father. Chris Benoit beat Billy Gunn to win back the Intercontinental title. Ivory retained the Women's Championship in a triple threat match with Molly Holly and Trish Stratus. And in a six-way Hell in a Cell match for the WWF Championship, Kurt Angle successfully retained the belt in a match also involving The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H, The Undertaker, and oh yes, Rikishi. What did you make of Armageddon then? We spoke about it last month when the main event was announced and we were all had sort of a few reservations as to the depth of the undercard. Um, seven matches on the undercard. Uh, mixed degrees of success, is it fair to say? Or, 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 or maybe you're slightly more positive than, than I? I did say last month when we were previewing the six pack challenge hell in a cell wwf title match unwieldy titles a go-go that it might show up or at least really test the strength of their roster and just looking back at the matches now i'm not sure they really met that test we'll talk about each match in turn as we get there i think i would have been a little more unkind to this show had it taken place earlier in the year now it's december what a year they've had. They can probably afford to take their foot off the pedal a bit. There were times here they were coasting and you could tell that the real story was being saved for after this pay-per-view. And we'll talk about that a bit later on as well. But a lot of good stuff here, a lot of good action, a lot of good performances. I wouldn't say anybody phoned it in for an early Christmas break other than the obvious person we'll get to much later on. But a lot of sharpening up could have been done here but it was nearly christmas so i could understand why they didn't yeah i am um, i kind of had pretty low expectations for this in terms of the main event was obviously being promoted as this huge epic match um did it meet those standards no was it a very good pay-per-view main event for a b-level december pay-per-view yes um 
the undercard had some good points. Um, nothing like absolutely horrid on the show. Um, I did um, kind of my biggest issue with the show, which I suppose we'll talk about in greater detail later, was kind of like I came out of it and I was like expecting this pay-per-view to kind of set the stage for 2001. Like we're heading into the Rumble. WrestleMania is two or three months away. I kind of like to know the general direction. And obviously we've got this six man main event for the title. All these pre-established feuds and rivalries. And there's kind of no payoff or resolution to any of them. Um, And it kind of just kept things ticking over um, when in a way I was expecting more of a sort of reset to a lot of these. Um, I think, it's safe to say that one man in particular was was maybe written out of the main event scene in the Hell in a Cell match. <laughs> um, but with the exception of him, it kind of felt like uh, there was as much resolution as, as you'd get on like your average episode of Raw. Um, not to say this is like the beer or an end or sort of blow-off pay-per-view, but I expected a bit more gist of a direction as to what 2001 would look like. But um, on the whole, I think I was pleasantly surprised with this show because it was a one match show in terms of hype and promotion. And I think that match uh, delivered maybe not to the level that the WWF had uh, promoted it, but certainly to my own expectations. So we are welcomed to the show by Ross and Lawler with the cell hanging low over the ring. They tell us that Foley has promised to resign if anyone's seriously injured in tonight's main event. Patterson and Briscoe meet Vince out of his limo. Vince is insistent that the Hell and Self match will not be going ahead. Uh, during the build-up to Armageddon, he'd been trying to get people to back out of the Cell match as he thought it would be bad for business and he was worried about protecting his investment in his wrestlers. The opening match uh, is the intergender elimination tag team match between Team Extreme, consisting of the Hardys and Lita, taking on Radicals represented by Milenko, Guerrero and Saturn. So, a bit of context and background on the storyline here. Milenko offered Lita a shot at his lightweight, light heavyweight title, uh, provided that um, if she lost, she would go on a date. Lita lost the match to uh, the Texas Cloverleaf, so she was forced on the date. In the restaurant, she says that she wants Milenko. They head back to a hotel room. He asked it, uh, Lita asked Dean how his wife feels about all this, identifying the ring on his finger. He waves it on. He's uh, got one thing on his mind, shall we say. But when he turns out the lights, the Hardys appear, uh, attack him and reveal the ruse. So uh, Milenko's looking for a bit of revenge here. Uh, That's kind of the background. Eddie also uh, recently ended his um, relationship with China, um, having been caught in the shower of two uh, of the hoes. And uh, that drew quite a bit of heat in the early going, which... uh, didn't last for too long, shall we say, as Eddie Guerrero is in fact the first elimination in this match. So Jeff Hardy holds the top rope to counter an attempted Hurricane Lita runs in. She hits the twist of fate, followed by a spectacular sent on bomb from Jeff that gets the free within two minutes. Shortly after, Matt sets up poetry in motion, but Jeff gets caught by Saturn, who hits a Death Valley driver and eliminates Jeff. Saturn's then eliminated next after Matt hits the twist of fate for a free. 
Uh, Terry comes to the ring. She slaps Matt. Lita tackles her, and in the confusion, Malenko rolls up Matt and eliminates him, leaving Lita to take on Malenko one-on-one. Lita gets a nice flurry going, uh, uh, going and hits a running head scissors, a victory roll, and a moonsault, which gets a two-count. She follows this with a tornado DDT. However, Malenko catches Lita on her way back to the top rope. He hits a superplex, covers Lita, but hit, lifts her head off the mat before the free. He hits some clotheslines before locking on the Texas Cloverleaf for the submission victory. Rory, what did you make of the opener? Okay, first things first, I think our comments or concerns about Eddie Guerrero expressed last month, they really have come to fruition now, haven't they? Eliminated in two minutes in an eight-minute match. Oof, that's a bad sign worry about him going forward but really there's only one topic to talk about in this match and it's a bit of a gloomy one i'm afraid i want to be able to laugh at dean malenko in this lady ladies man role he is so obviously miscast for it that that is i'm pretty certain maybe i'm giving him a bit too much credit but i'll let it go i'm pretty certain that is meant to be the gag that he is most definitely not Roger Moore. He is Dean Malenko. Now, five years ago, this guy was the shooter. Now he's supposedly adept in another very different kind of shooting. Okay, fair enough. If this storyline had ended as the SmackDown before this show ended, with him being shown up for the adulterous creep that he is, and Lita, or as we all know, she, one of the reasons she is so over and so popular is because she's ahead of the curve. She's streetwise. She's not some blonde ditz. She knows the score and everybody around her knows the score as well because she's properly switched on. And one of the reasons I'm such a fan of her character, she gets one over on him with the help of the Hardys, traps him against the hotel room wall, throws the flowers at him, high fives the Hardys, leave. There you go. End of the little storyline. But of course, being as it is, they have to have their match and the elimination match has to come down to them because obviously it does. And the optics of this one with Malenko having her beaten and picking her up and only match only ending when she was unconscious. You carry that over to the next day where she takes a header off the apron and Malenko kisses her. And I can't even say that Lita was able to finally get any comeuppance in the remaining weeks because it looks like the storyline is just fizzled out completely. Certainly, the last SmackDown of the year, there was no real recourse to it. And that leaves a very nasty taste in my mouth, I'm afraid. I think Lita is, can be recovered, position of recovery from this. She's just so over that it's going to help her, but was just so over that she could help herself, I should say. This sort of thing isn't going to help her. And it just shows that when they try to do storylines like this that touch on, quote-unquote, real life issues i don't trust the people behind them to do them with anything like the correct level of respect and i think that showed here unfortunately yeah i uh, completely agree with you i have all the same uh, reservations about this type of storyline and the wwf handled that with the exact level of tact and grace that i would expect um i didn't like the finish at all um, as you point out, optically really bad. Uh, just doesn't sit too well with me. Um, I thought generally, um, in a vacuum, I suppose, uh, the match itself 
uh, wasn't too bad. I think when you get the Hardys in there with the Radicals, um, I mean, that's a good mix of good workers. Uh, some of the action was pretty good. Uh, it didn't overstay its welcome. It was pretty fun. But when it comes down to that finish and the storyline is playing out how it is, it does leave a bad taste in the mouth. So I think it was a, a fine in-ring opener, but everything that surrounds that uh, definitely... Um, not the best way in my book to open a pay-per-view. Next up, William Regal defends his European title against Hardcore Holly. Holly gets a pop on the way out after he's announced as from Alabama, and he gets off to a hot start in the match until Regal catches him with a boot, slows the pace right down and takes control. Holly hits a drop kick followed by Falcon Arrow and a leg drop from the top, which also which gets a two count for him. He reverses an attempt at the Regal Cutter and hits a forearm. Raven runs in, hits a DDT on Holly while the referee is distracted, which allows Regal to get the cover and the win, retaining his title around five minutes. Rory, what did you make of this one? I'll be honest with you, Chris. I'd forgotten Raven had even interfered in this one, so there we are. Otherwise, (laughs) this was genuinely did. I only watched it a couple of weeks ago again. So this really was the equivalent of their match last month. And we weren't too hot on that one. Regal just needs the right opponent, but I'm not sure said right opponent is anywhere out there for him in North America. I hope I get proved wrong. And I am still as mystified as Holly's online popularity as I was last month. So there you go. Yeah, just the match. I mean, relatively inoffensive, but also not something I need on my pay-per-views. So I, I suppose it was fine for the amount of time it was given but it was certainly no of no benefit to the overall package of this show. Definitely not a pay-per-view match. No. Backstage, we're shown uh, footage of uh, Angle hitting Rikishi in the head uh, with the WWF title on SmackDown um, after, uh, after Triple H, Angle and Rikishi had laid the other three men in the main event out. Angle uh, was clearly coming off of that SmackDown, not allying himself with the other two. Kevin Kelly asks Rikishi if he's concerned about how Hunter will react, but Rikishi says he sacrificed everything to become a ch- for a chance to become the WWF champion. An alliance or no alliance, he will sacrifice everyone else in this match to win the title. Next up, China faces Val Venus, who's accompanied by Ivory. Uh, China comes down the entranceway, meets Val and lands some forearms. China has control in the early going, but Val makes a comeback with some knees and a Russian leg sweep. Val goes up top, looks for the money shot, but China rolls out the way. She looks to follow up, but Ivory grabs her leg as she comes off the ropes. China chases Ivory around the ring, but when she returns, Val hits her with a fisherman suplex to pick up the win. Post-match, China looks to powerbomb Ivory, but Val attacks and hits her with a sit-out powerbomb. Thoughts on this one? Yeah, this is another match which has been overshadowed by what happened on the TV shortly afterwards when... Right to centre teamed up to give China a spike pile driver. First time we've seen a pile driver in the Federation for a good few months, actually. So they're clearly trying to really put all their eggs in one basket with this one. And they're teasing that China's career might be over. And again, hate it when they do that sort of thing with worked injuries. This match again was okay. Unlike a lot of people, I am most certainly not precious about China getting in the ring. And I think people need to get over themselves. On the other hand because she has been a genuine in-ring competitor for getting on two years now, I do think we need to try to hold her to 
a pretty general set of standards. I think that's fair and understandable. And I don't think she would want it done any other way. But I think by that respect, she hasn't come on as a worker. I remember we were talking about her matches with Jericho this time last year, where Jericho was so obviously walking her way through even some of the more base level sequences. And I don't think she's improved in any real way, shape or form. Certainly not that I can see. Val's a perfectly acceptable worker, but no more than that. So I think he was struggling at times to hold it together. Again, they were helped by the rather short match length. It clocked in at 5.03, probably just as well. But if China is going to make some sort of dramatic comeback from this, which is what I expect, I think she's just going to have to mow through Ivory. After that, if they are going to put her in some of the better women's workers, which again raises its own questions then I think we'll really see how much China has improved. I'm going to be very, very polite and say she's hiding her light under a bushel at the moment, but I think I might be proved wrong on that one very quickly too. I, I think she's regressed. Um, yeah, you're, you're probably right. Yeah, I probably agree with you. Yeah, I used to be quite high on China, and I, 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 I don't know if it's just like... I, I don't think it's through lack of opportunities, but like, if she was gonna begin to kick on as a like a, a good worker, I I think it would have been during that time when she was having all those matches with Jericho. Like, I, I think she was far more likely to develop in those types of matches than she is in these types of matches. Um, and maybe this is just kind of her level, which isn't like it's not like it's not appalling. Um, it's 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 fine. Uh, it's 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 not pay per view standard, perhaps, but um, yeah, I I, th- I think maybe this is kind of a level, um, which is a bit disappointing uh, pill to swallow. But uh, I I don't know where else she goes from here um, as a singles wrestler. Um, a part of me thinks like just put her in the women's division full time and give her the belt and let her run with it for a while. But I think that's probably what will happen. I mean, she's going to beat Ivory at some point soon, no doubt about it. But my issue is if she does end up in the women's division, do certain parties, maybe even both parties involved, see that as a demotion? And would your average punter buy anybody in the women's division even going toe-to-toe with China? I think I, they tied I, themselves in knots really. Yeah. Now they don't know which way to go. Yeah, I do think that's a serious issue that they've got. That she's now been mixing it in the in the men's mid card for a number of years. Um, and I mean, like, I could get on board with a Lita and China match. Like that. That sounds like it would work for me. Um, you've got stylistically uh, two decent ingredients there that that could produce something good um but they're all gonna have to be very specific types of matches aren't they um and i don't know that's i don't know that her being in the division is is good for the rest of the division um it might be good for china from where she currently is but i don't know that it's good for anyone else so i do think they've got that they're at a bit of an impasse and it's kind of hard to know what step to take next with her, really? You can't just 
dump her back to being the cold glazed valet that she was in or valet with the difference that she was in 97 98 you can't go back to there that ship has long sailed i mean when she first made her appearance in the 99 royal rumble we were, oh this is something a bit different and by the end of that year she was mixing it with jericho i let's be kind and say that's what was happening it was pretty terrible in that three-way match with everybody's friend holly and jericho at the rumble and from there, when she's been called upon in the ring, it hasn't happened. I would not be surprised at all if she is women's champion by maybe even by the time this show goes out. I don't know. But whatever she's doing, ends up doing now, it's a waste one way or the other. And I think the reason for that is when they first started pushing China in the ring in early 99, they didn't know then what the end game was. And now they're being found out. Or maybe they were just massively optimistic with the end game and, and saw Perhaps. a potential future main event or, yeah, or let's something not forget, like that. There's only SummerSlam 99 for a week or so. She was in that main event. Yep. Yep. I, I mean, at one point, I, I reckon a lot of people would have been on board with a potential Hunter v. China match. Yeah. yeah. Uh, not necessarily for the title, but certainly in, in the upper two or three matches on a pay-per-view and then once she's there it's not hard to fit her in for a title shot on pay-per-view somewhere in the calendar year and maybe that's how they envisioned it and if that was the plan um i i think maybe props to them for not necessarily doing it anyway um because it hadn't necessarily gone how everyone wanted it to um and we're in a bit of a sticky spot here, but I, I I don't think it's like completely irredeemable, but it's certainly an uphill battle from this point where there was a lot of goodwill and stuff before. Um, and I think it's now certainly a lot trickier. Moving on to a backstage segment, uh, Stephanie McMahon calls Vince into a dressing room. She wants to speak with him, uh, but Vince tells Stephanie's hurting and he doesn't want to talk about his divorce right now. Uh, Stephanie says she's hurting as well, but it's because she's afraid for Triple H in the main event. Steph says that Triple H beat Mick Foley in the cell last February, but, but could barely walk afterwards. And now that he has to face five other men in the cell, she's feeling fearing for Hunter's life. Vince curses Foley and promises to put a stop to this as he hobbles out of the room. We also see a pre-recorded segment as before the show, Kevin Kelly interviews The Undertaker. Uh, Taker says that when he enters the cell, he unleashes an animal. He talks about what he's done in previous Hell in a Cell matches, and we get footage of Taker's matches with Michaels and Mankind spliced in. Uh, Undertaker said that he made both of these guys famous, and the only question was to who he was going to make famous tonight. Uh, one thing I noted here, interesting how there's no mention of the cell match with the boss man, isn't it? <laughs> we made that one famous. Yes, indeed. Uh, finally, before we uh, get to our next match, another uh, non-wrestling segment as we have Vince McMahon coming out to the ring. He gets on the mic and reiterates that he meant everything he said on SmackDown about giving the WWF fans his life and demanding a divorce from Linda. Uh, Vince says he also meant it when he expressed concern over the well-being of the six men inside the cell. 
but his sympathies for them have fallen for deaf ears and been trivialized by Mick Foley. He wants five seconds of silence from the crowd to contemplate the potential consequences of the main event and ask the crowd to stand in support of his uh, support of his plea. And obviously they do not oblige. Vince says that everyone uh, in the arena uh, will have the horrific consequences of the cell match on their conscience as well as Mick Foley. That sure was a long stretch of non-wrestling on this wrestling pay-per-view. Um, so we head straight from that into a video package uh, about our next match as last man standing contest between Chris Jericho and Kane. Two months of rivalry born from Jericho spilling coffee on Kane. And we are here. Last man standing. Kane goes out to meet Jericho in the aisle and the two fight their way backstage. After some technical difficulty, we finally cut back. Kane grabs an anvil case and throws it at Jericho, who ducks it. Kane misses a shot with a shovel, and Jericho throws sawdust from the back of a truck into Kane's face. More on that truck later. The two exchange shots when Midian accidentally stumbles into the brawl and both men beat him up. Jericho fights Kane back out to the arena and throws him into the guardrail. Uh, Kane scoops, scoops Jericho onto his shoulder, but Jericho slips out and shoves Kane into the ring post. Jericho rams Kane into the ring steps before they head back into the ring, where Jericho hits a reverse elbow off the top and lays in some punches. Kane comes back, uh, driving Jericho into the ring post and continues to work him over before he puts on a chin lock, which put Jericho out as he doesn't answer the free arm drop, but Jericho manages to answer the 10 count made by Teddy Long. Kane hits a clothesline off the top, but Jericho goads Kane to keep coming at him. So he hits a big choke slam, but Jericho gets up at nine. Kane grabs a chair, uh, which he hits Jericho in the back with. Kane signals for a tombstone on the chair, but Jericho battles, of, battles out of it and hits a low blow. Uh, Jericho hits Kane in the head with a steel chair, but Kane gets up. Jericho follows with a missile drop kick and a bulldog, puts the chair on top of Kane and hits the lion salt. Kane gets up at nine and delivers a big foot followed by a press slam to the outside. The two fight up the entranceway. Kane sets up a table and attempts to choke slam Jericho off the sound box, but Jericho battles out of it and hits a bulldog on the table instead, though the table doesn't break and rather just collapses. Jericho then shoves a uh, wall of prop barrels over and they fall on top of Kane, or rather kind of like fall next to Kane. Uh, we can clearly see on the shot, they don't really touch him. Kane buried under the barrels, the referee counts to 10, and this match is finally brought to a close. Rory. This is one of those situations where the build hurt my enjoyment of the match. Because in a vacuum, as we look through so often on this podcast, I thought this match was pretty good, to be honest. Last month's standing matches, Texas death matches, as I've said before, they need to be especially excellent to really grab my gear. The match at Fully Loaded involving Mr. Jericho certainly was one of those. This wasn't up to those standards, but it was still pretty good. I thought it was well-timed. I thought it was well-paced. I thought the brutal spots came at just the right time. The right amount of them without it getting gratuitous. I thought they worked the nine counts on just the right side of believability. There was enough going on where it wasn't there wasn't too much just lying around in the stead of action. And the crowd were behind Jericho enough in this one where when Kane did get out at nine a couple of times, there was some genuine drama. All of that is good. They kept the pace up for those 15 minutes. And I think in that respect, we do need to give them some credit. The problem isn't really their fault. It's this whole bloody feud. 
which I've now had the pleasure of commenting on all three of their matches on. And I could not be happier to see this one end. I think Kane's going to be all right. I think somebody of his stature isn't going to affect him. But this has done more harm than good for Jericho. And he wasn't exactly head and shoulders above the rest going into this one. I'm going to say it one more time, hopefully for the last one. The feud started over a bloody cup of coffee. They can deny it all they want. Yes, it did. He lost clean as a whistle to a choke slam in the UK pay-per-view a couple of weeks ago. We've had awful promos from Jericho going into this, embracing the dark side. Oh, just utterly cringeworthy. Horrible, horrible stuff. And the reason it hasn't helped him is because, okay, from a personal perspective, I'm glad that he hasn't carried that on. But now he's just back to hockey shirt wearing, wise cracking. I'm up against Dean Malerkel, Chris Jericho, as if the last two months haven't happened. Uh, what was this for? If it wasn't to give him a new edge, then what was the purpose of it? Is he just going to go back meandering around in the mid card with the likes of Malenko and, dare I say it, Benoit? Probably. I said last month he's in trouble. Mm, I've seen nothing in the last few weeks before or since this pay-per-view to change my mind. I will just go back to the match and talk about the finish. Though that finish was far too cute, wasn't it? The barrels didn't even fall at a 45-degree angle. No. Kane could have got up and walked out of that without any difficulty, but yet another one of the Fed's finishes that sounded better than they looked. And last month I made far too many references to who was in creative control, so I don't need to do that again now. It's definitely been more in creative control. Anyway, match itself in its own right was better than fine. Both worked hard. Both gave us put in a good shift, as we like to say. But from Jericho's perspective, he might have won the match, but I think the real war... He is certainly not going to be the last man standing in that one, I think. Yeah, I'm uh, really quite worried for Jericho based on the last few months. They've been really bad. I don't know where it all came from, but it has been poor. Um, I, I thought this was quite a dull match. Um, I, I, okay. I'm willing to admit that probably a large part of that was like ingrained in me before... <laughs> they were out there that I was like, oh god, again. I was already down on it, so they were they were struggling uh, to win me over from the off. But but um, yeah, in my head I was just thinking back to fully loaded, the last man standing with Triple H, and I was thinking how how have we got from that to this? And then comparing Jericho then to now, comparing that match to this match, and I I think um, it's probably harsh on the two men in terms of the actual like in-ring work from here bell to bell um to include all of that but i think it's kind of fair to assess the wider context of the match with all that in mind and like it's been a disappointing back half of the year for jericho um probably worse than anyone imagined it going and that finish was really poor, um, really cheesy. Um, the the one good thing coming out of it, I thought, was that at least it's over with. Um, and like you, I'd be far more optimistic about Kane um, heading into 2001 than I am Chris Jericho. And uh, I think, like, with the main event scene, if you're going to have, like, your top six guys in a rotation, um, I think it's safe to say that 
Rikishi's been uh, bombed out of that picture, as we've already alluded to. And if you're going to have one step up, I think right now that would be Kane, um, despite losing this match. Um, he would be the sort of person that's sort of in a ready-made position for it. Um, so I suppose in a way this feud's done okay for Kane, but um, certainly Chris Jericho's stock has rarely been lower since he joined the WWF. Um, and if you'd have told me that after Fully Loaded, I wouldn't have believed you. Um, fully Loaded, he was molten hot. Yeah. It was gateway to the main event, genuinely. And now he's still over, but it feels like a courtesy overness. Yeah, it's like, oh, we remember when this guy was good. Like, that's how, like, that type of, like, old favourite over rather than actually hot. It's Um, all happened. Everybody said 18 months ago, and I was saying, no, 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 give it time, give it time. I was far too positive about Jericho in the WWF. And now I am finally having to hold my hands up. I don't see how he turns this around. I don't think he can. I, I I think so. Coming out of this, obviously, he's he's back in that sort of intercontinental title picture. Obviously, uh, we're about to discuss a couple of matches before we get there. But Benoit picks the belt up again here. We've seen that match a whole load of times, um, but I think it's as good as any for Chris to have a reset. Um, for Jericho, I should say, they're both yeah. Chris's. For Jericho to have a bit of a reset and and try and rebuild, um, it feels like we're turning the clock back twelve months. But considering where we are, that's probably the best thing for him in the can, immediate future. I totally agree. But I can see us having this same conversation again twelve months from now. He's going to be spinning his wheels all this time. I, wouldn't shock me in the slightest. It really wouldn't. No, I, I'm definitely, uh, I'm not optimistic about it at this stage. Um, but I'd say he's probably got a better shot of turning it around than, than maybe than China. But <laughs> that's that's uh, yeah. This not, is where we are, everybody. It's not the biggest of compliments, really. For Chris yeah, Jericho's you're w. you're going to tell him that, all right. <laughs> Backstage, uh, we see Coach ask Foley if he's had any second thoughts about uh, the Hell in the Cell match after seeing what's happened to Kane. I'm just going to let that one hang for a little bit. <laughs> Foley says that he is concerned, but he's adamant that the fans want to see the match. So because of that, it will go ahead. We move on to a fatal four-way for the WWF Tag Team titles with Bull Buchanan and the good father of RTC defending against the Dudley Boys, Road Dogg and K-Quick and Edge and Christian. So the key feud here, uh, actually between RTC and the Dudleys, on SmackDown they pretended to join RTC uh, in order to put Richards for a table. Uh, Road Dog and Bubba in the early going both hit the shake, rattle and roll on Edge and Christian, but they used the last punch to take each other out as the fans began chanting, we want tables. We get some quick back and forth tags and eventually it's K-Quick, who's uh, the unlucky man who is worked over by various team members. Eventually he gets the hot tag to Bubba who cleans house and everyone enters the ring for a bit of a schmoz. K-Quick and Road Dog send Goodfather and Bull out of the ring before K-Quick goes for a diving crossbody but gets caught and hit with a shoulder breaker road dog hits a double clothesline off the apron but uh steven richards hits a stevie kick on road dog as he jumps off uh back in the ring the dudleys take out edge then get a table uh 
which they run into RTC on the outside. Edge takes a Doomsday device, but Christian bakes up the cover. Dudley's then hit the 3D on ball, followed by a 3D to Goodfather before nailing Christian with the What's Up diving headbutt. Devon goes to get the table, but Stephen Richard hits him with a DDT. In the ring, Edge hits a spear on Bubba, who only gets a two count. Edge then distracts the referee. Christian runs in, hits the unprettier on Bubba, then Edge gets the cover and the win. Edge and Christian are the new tag team champions. What do you make of this one? Yeah, good stuff here. Again, I feel like we've seen it a lot, especially towards the back end of the year, but I haven't tired of it just yet. I admit that is probably my Edge and Christian bias talking. In fact, it definitely is my Edge and Christian bias talking. But no matter, everybody here, yes, even the right to centre representatives gave their very best shot. In Road Dogs, it was a parting shot, which is probably good news for K-Quick, actually. I think he's been rather laid down by this tag team and he was clearly just put in it because you know he can do some rapping once again people behind the scenes really not understanding what real people are like so i hope the k quick gets a little bit of a singles run of some description he's definitely got the talent and he can excite a crowd a match was all action again less than 10 minutes but they packed a lot in there and edge and christian pinching the victory in there just limitless amounts of douchebaggery in their victory celebration I am delighted that, as we record this right at the very start of 2001, it looks like they're actually going up the ladder, pun intended, a little bit, rubbing shoulders with some of the very biggest names in the company. I'm fascinated to see where that goes. They certainly deserve it. Fun match to get there. Edge and Christian, well, they dropped the belts and won them back in the time since this show has happened and we've recorded it to Rock on The Undertaker and won them back on the pre-Christmas Smackdown as they should. Just anything with Edge and Christian. My, my veneer of impartiality slips, I'm afraid. I cannot say enough good things about them. I guess you could say they reek of awesomeness, if you will. And if I had a kazoo, <laughs> I'd play it right now, but I don't. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I like this match. Favourite match of the uh, evening so far. Uh, I thought it was... A, this is kind of like a, a, a one of those finishes that... Uh, kind of like I alluded to at the start that that like it was a it was a match there was an outcome but like nothing really changed in terms of like the 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 story of this match was RTC and the Dudleys um but Edge just beats Bubba to win RTC's belts yeah, um and, and and storyline wise left more unanswered questions than it gave us answers really um but in terms of the match itself, uh, yeah, I did enjoy that. Uh, the finish was really good. The Dudley's like fully in control and ultimately getting screwed by Edging Christian. Um, yeah, uh, and the fact that RTC didn't really play into the finish at all, um, a little odd, but uh, generally, um, really good stuff from everyone involved. I, I, I think, um, I mean, I honestly, I don't know too much about him, but as you alluded to in the news, um, Road Dog uh, is is no longer on our screens. Um, and I think that's a bit of a shame for K-Quick, who has done okay, I think, since he's uh, been running around with Road Dog. And, I mean, it's not the most original act, um, but certainly it's an act that, like, 
if you haven't got a work rate match in your opener on a pay-per-view, you want a guy like that in there to get the crowd going a bit. And um, I don't have like great hopes that he's going to have um, a huge place on, on the roster in Road Dogg's absence. But I think that's a shame for him. Um, and I, I think that's kind of like a disservice to uh, the bits of good he's brought um, to the team. And certainly in my book, the more... Uh, my my preferred member of of that team um, there. So just a quick nod of appreciation to K Quick for the last couple of months or however long is it it's been, because um, I think he's done a, a decent job uh, with what he's been given. Next up, we have uh, Billy Gunn defending his Intercontinental title against Chris Benoit. Both men lock up to start. Billy forces Benoit into a corner, but Benoit gets the first shots in. Benoit goes for a whip. Billy reverses it, hits a drop toe hole, followed by some arm drags. Billy follows up with a hip toss for two, uh, then throws Benoit over the ropes. He goes out, rams Benoit into the barricade before Benoit starts to come back, goes for a whip, but Billy reverses and throws him into the ring post. Billy charges at Benoit, but Benoit throws him into the ring steps and tosses, his back, tosses him back into the ring, kicks at his legs. Benoit slams Billy's knee into the mat, boots him in the head, goes for a knee breaker, but Billy floats over into a sunset flip for a two count. Benoit drop kicks Billy in the knee for a near fall, kicks him in the head, then drapes his leg over the bottom rope, sits down on the knee. Uh, Benoit hits a dragon leg whip, then applies the figure four. Billy tries to hold on, manages to turn it over to reverse the pressure, and Benoit grabs the ropes. Both men exchange punches. Billy gets the advantage, uh, whips Benoit into the corner, hobbles across the ring, hits a splash, but Benoit, well, hobbles across the ring looking for a splash, but Benoit sidesteps it. Benoit hits three German suplexes before climbing to the top and going for the diving headbutt, but misses. Uh, Billy whips Benoit and hits a power slam for a two count. Uh, he, uh, Billy then whips him into the corner, press slams him, follows up with a rocker dropper, but only gets two. Billy goes for a cobra, cobra clutch, I should say. Uh, but uh, Benoit counters it and goes for the crossface. Billy tries to fight it. Benoit gets the hold on, but Billy gets his foot on the bottom rope. Billy goes for a tilt wheel slam, but ends up kind of just dropping Benoit. Looks a bit ugly. Benoit goes for a whip, but Billy reverses into a corner. Uh, charges, but eats a boot. Benoit hits a back suplex, which gets two. Billy rolls Benoit up for a near fall. Uh, but that is it for Billy, uh, as Benoit counters it into the crossface, and Billy Gunn taps out to give Chris Benoit the submission victory and his third Intercontinental title after around ten minutes. Rory, what do you make of this match? View, uh, yeah, it, Billy Gunn wearing the IC title in two thousand. You can stare at it all you like, but you're never going to see anything in it. Like the person who pretends they can see the unicorn in the magic eye picture and they really can't that was me looking at the trying to convince myself again for the sake of impartiality and impartiality only that billy gunn could deserve being ic champion in december 2000 but lo and behold it didn't happen and this match was really a formality in that regard we got to where we needed to be so thank goodness for that actually the 10 minutes of action were fine i thought billy gave a decent account of himself in this one, all told. He acquitted himself by his own low standards, if you will. Benoit was Benoit. 
wrestled rings around the guy really got just about managed to hold on and judging by the tv afterwards i don't think we're finished with billy gunn yet so yay but as right as it is that benoit is holding gold again in the federation and once again showed his supreme skills at getting a very good match out of an opponent who could never qualify as very good on otherwise his best day it's still the ic belt back with benoit and not on, at least not yet, on quite the same scale as Jericho, but the levels of the ceiling and what that ceiling may or may not be made out of, they're looking pretty clear to me for people like Jericho and Benoit. For now, I'm okay with Benoit holding the IC title, and Billy Gunn not holding the IC title. He can hold whatever he likes, as much as I care. But once again... We're just going round in circles with some people, and I hope there's a long-term plan. Well, I fear that this is the long-term plan. It's weird, isn't it, that um, (laughs) I don't think if you would have picked um, Chris Benoit, uh, Chris Jericho, and Kurt Angle um, from the... uh, the um, triple threat match at uh, WrestleMania um, that their trajectory, you, I don't think any of us would have correctly predicted the trajectories of all three's the rest of the years Um, that Kurt is the WWF champion and defending it successfully on pay-per-view. Okay. uh, The finish is the finish, but like, Alas, that remains a fact that he is the champion. He went into pay-per-view champion and came out of it as the champion. Main event in shows and has been pretty much in the main event scene for like months and months and months now. And uh, Jericho and Benoit are kind of, at best, right back where they were in Benoit's case. And in Jericho's case, went up a bit, but then fell a hell of a lot further. Um I yeah, it's it's just interesting to me uh, that Kurt, having had so little time in professional wrestling, has found himself where he is. Um, and those two guys with vastly more experience are, are where they are. Um, a lot of it I know is to do with like just, I, I mean, Chris Benoit, as wonderful as he is, he's not going to be playing a Kurt Angle character, is he? Um, they're two very different men, very different cr- types of charisma. Uh, that isn't to say that I prefer one over the other. I think they're both brilliant, but um, <laughs> maybe Vince McMahon has a preference uh, for a guy of their stature, shall we say. Um, yeah, I, I, I think kind of when I look at Kurt Angle and where he is and where he's been this year, it does give me hope that Benoit can do similar. And he's someone who has been in main events this year as well and had close instances of becoming the, the guy and winning the belt. Um, And it just feels to me, maybe that as we're heading into WrestleMania sort of season, we've got the rumble coming up next month. And uh, we head into that period where he isn't 
in the plans for now. Um, that doesn't mean that he wouldn't be an excellent post-WrestleMania feud for whoever is the champion um, or something like that. I think Benoit's in a position where they could do that with him. I'm not quite at panic stations yet, but certainly I hope that we're not here in one year's time talking about Chris Benoit winning the Intercontinental title on pay-per-view again, as uh, hopefully things will pick up for him over the next year. But it's not quite Chris Jericho levels, but I do have some concerns creeping in about, as you say, potential ceilings. I do hope his dues are paid now, though. I'm not sure they are, but the ignominy of wrestling Billy Gunn for 10 minutes on pay-per-view at the end of 2000, that's the hard yards right there. We now get a pre-taped interview uh, Jim Ross had with Steve Austin earlier today. JR tells Austin his concerns about the cell ending uh, Mick Foley's career and uh, asks how Austin could possibly prepare for it. Austin says there's no way you can. He didn't sleep at all last night and he's just running on coffee. Austin says the match won't be pretty. It will be brutality. JR asks if Triple H and Rikishi bring um, in the cell will be a distraction but Austin calls it just more motivation Austin says that he can't be distracted by getting revenge because his main focus is the WWF championship and says that just like the five other men uh, Austin says that he doesn't trust anyone and wants to get the match started before we move on to the WWF women's title being defended by Ivory against Molly Holly and Trish Stratus Molly takes Trish down Trish down to start, throws her across the ring by her hair, works her over in the corner with some chops. Molly goes for a whip. Trish reverses into the opposite corner and goes for monkey flip, but Molly lands at her feet and Ivory hits her with a clothesline. Ivory and Trish whip Molly, but miss a double clothesline and Molly drop kicks them both. Molly rolls Trish up, but Ivory breaks up the pin. Trish sets Molly up for a suplex, but Ivory comes along to argue over who gets to hit it. Eventually, they both hit the suplex and exchange high five before Ivory double crosses Trish. Ivory covers Molly and Trish uh, breaks the cover and the two start arguing. Molly climbs to the top rope and hits a crossbody on both of them, covers them uh, uh, but they both kick out. Uh, Molly backstrokes Ivory on the ropes and plants Trish with a sit-down powerbomb, but Ivory comes uh, back in and hits Molly. Ivory throws Molly to the ropes and covers Trish. And just like that, it's all over. And Ivory has retained two minutes this one got. After the match, uh, Test and Albert come down. They attack Molly. Crash prevents harm to Molly by attacking them from behind and goading them into the ring. TNA do get in the ring, but APA's music hit. Fruk and Bradshaw into the ring. Uh, they hit the spine buster and the clothesline from hell on T and A and get a big pop for the APA, it has to be noted. Rory, what do you make of the match and uh, the post-match angle as well? Yeah, If you want to try to make a worker out of Trish, as I suspect they do, then putting her in there with Ivory and Molly, who both clearly know their way around a ring, is the way to do it. But you probably want to give her more than 133 seconds. Uh, it's not going to rub off that quickly. That's asking for a bit much there and in a match where nobody's really paying attention before a half an hour long main event for the WWF title. It does make this look like the afterthought that I'm afraid it was. Don't put this on pay-per-view at all. Give them a solid 10 minutes on TV, maybe on something like SmackDown where you can edit around things if you need to and then see what Trish currently brings to the table 
what she needs to improve because she's definitely game. There's no question about it. I can see the effort from Trish already. She really, in my opinion, wants to make something of this, but you've got to give her the chance. And this was knowing what was going to happen in the main event, getting the APA out there was getting the, sending the crowd back to their seats happy, if that makes any sense. Uh, it, it was, it, that was fine enough and was probably needed. So you didn't go into the main event too deflated, but the match itself was a bit of a missed opportunity. I don't think they're helping themselves with this one. No, the match itself was uh, pretty good, about as good as you could get for the time they were given and the people in the ring. Um, yeah, I, I know what you mean about sort of <laughs> sending the crowd back to their seats happy. It's quite a nice way of putting it. Um, yeah, I think uh, long term they've got something um, with Trish and uh, the women's division is, I mean, it's not on the same path as the tag division uh, has been in terms of going from bottom of the barrel to one of the best bits about the company. It's a long way from being that, but we've started to make some positive steps in it throughout the year. Uh, I do hope that in order for them to kick on again, um, we're going to start seeing these types of matches given a bit more than two minutes on pay-per-view throughout 2001. But uh, for the time they were given, I mean, you can have no real complaints. It's just a shame <laughs> that it was as short as it was. And finally, we've made it to our main event of the evening, the six-man Hell in a Cell match for the WWF Championship. Kurt Angle defending against The Rock, Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H, The Undertaker, and Rikishi. So all six men go at it at the same time. The first man to score a pinfall wins the title. Triple H is out first, followed by Rikishi and Angle. Yes, the world champion comes out third. A group of referees keep them apart until the bell while Angle waits outside of the cell. Undertaker comes out next. He's got his new Limp Biscuit theme. Uh, Rock is out next and Austin comes out last, but he goes right after Angle on the outside and throws him into the cell. The six men quickly pair off into their Survivor Series matchups. Taker hammering away at Angle, Austin teeing off on Triple H and Rock and Rikishi fighting it out. We get lots of walking, brawling around the outside of the ring. Each duo takes in turns to come into the centre of the ring and hits some signature offence. Triple H is busted open in the early going when Austin begins dragging his face across the chain link cell. Austin throws Hunter into the ring uh, but and Rikishi comes in and hits a uh, leg drop on Austin. Rikishi embraces Triple H, but Hunter immediately turns on him and hits pedigree on Rikishi, and The Rock comes in to break up the pin. Rock goes for a whip, but Triple H reverses it. Rock comes back with a DDT. He covers Triple H with Angle, breaks up the cover, and drops Rock with a right hand. He hits the Olympic Slam on The Rock, covers, but Austin breaks it up before hitting Angle with the stunner. Austin covers Angle, but now Taker breaks it up and hits a choke slam on Austin. Taker gets the cover on Austin, but now Triple H breaks it up, pulls Taker out to the floor. Taker drops Triple H with the right hand, scoops him on his shoulder, and lawn dance him into the wall. Rikishi, uh, in, in the ring, Rikishi rips Austin into the corner, goes for the running splash, but Austin slidesteps it and hits a clothesline. Austin clotheslines Taker over the ropes, and then uh, when Rikishi uh, goes for a whip, but Austin reverses it and hits a fez press. 
at this point, Vince McMahon then drives down to the ring in a massive truck that has loads and loads of sawdust in the back and begins barking orders for the workers that are with him to tear down the cell. Um, directed by Patterson and Briscoe, they attach chains to the cell door and rip it off. They begin attaching them to another section of the cell, but at this point, out comes Mick Foley. He attacks Vince's stooges and has Vince taken away by security, and the cell remains intact apart from the removed door. So the cell doors open, all the men begin spilling out, brawling up the entranceway, battling on the wrecked cars that make up the set. Austin ran a Triple H into one of the cars before grabbing a camera and ramming it into him in a spot that had an excellent replay. As the others spill out of the cage and up the ramp, Triple H throws Austin's head headfirst through one of the truck's windows. Rikishi hits a Samoan drop on Taker onto one of the cars, Triple H hammering away on a now bloody Austin when Rock comes in and begins attacking Hunter. Uh, they brawl to the roof of one of the cars. Rocky sets up for the rock bottom, but Triple H blocks it with a low blow and hits a pedigree on the rock on the roof of the car. Taker lays out Angle with some strikes on the ramp before hitting him with a ring belt and choking him with some mic cables. Angle fights back, grabs a chair, hits Taker with it and busts him open too. Austin and Triple H fight their way to the truck and Austin rams Triple H into it. Triple H to escape begins climbing up the cell wall and Austin tries to stop him but Hunter just kicks him away and reaches the top. Austin runs round and climbs up the other side and they meet on, in the middle of the roof of the cell in what is, in what is admittedly a great shot uh, and begin uh, trading strikes and uh, Austin hammering away at Triple H near the edge of the cell. Triple H blocks a right hand that would have sent him over the edge, but then Austin drops him with a stunner on the roof. Uh, no one's fallen through, no one's fallen off, nothing like that so far. Undertaker and Angle also get on top of the cell. Taker has a steel chair thrown up at him, and he uses it to bust open Angle. Rikishi at this point also scales the cell. He uses the chair to take out Undertaker and Angle. While Rikishi's beaten down Taker... Angle rolls away and makes his way down from the roof, leaving Rikishi and Taker the only two men remaining on the cell. Taker is up. He starts hammering Rikishi towards the edge of the cage, grabs him and chokeslam him off the cell roof to the flatbed truck below into all the sawdust. The four men who are all below, so Austin, Rock, Angle and Triple H, all stand in disbelief while Taker collapses on the roof of the cell. In the ring, Austin and Rock go face-to-face before battling it out. Austin looks for the Santa, but Rock blocks and hits the Spinebuster. He sets up for a people's elbow, but Triple H intervenes. Rock deals with Triple H, counters a charge by Angle, and hits the Rock bottom. He goes for the cover, but Austin makes the save. Austin hits Rock with a stunner, which Rock sells in his magnificently over-the-top fashion. Triple H prevents Austin from getting the pin and counters the stunner attempt before hitting a neckbreaker, which leaves both men down. While this is happening, Angle has managed to crawl over to the rock and drapes over one arm over the rock's chest. The referee counts the one, two, three. Kurt Angle steals the win and retains the WWF title. I think we went about 33 minutes. Angle eventually gets to his feet, celebrates with his title. He's a bloody beaten mess. Austin pops in out of nowhere, hits a stunner, and we go off the air with Austin's music playing as we survey the carnage with all six men bloody and all six men down. Rory, what did you make of that one? Well, I know we've already recorded the show, but I'm changing my vote for MVP of the year, Chris White, for that amazing write-up of that match. Well done, my man. You didn't miss a beat there. 
bravo. That's why I pay you the uh, <clears throat> the big bucks. So this match, <laughs> laugh. So this match, yes. When we previewed this one on our Survivor Series show, I said I thought it was a very sensible choice of main event for the final pay per view of the year. You get all your big names and somebody else in there all together in the ring at the same time. Not a huge amount of stakes in there. Probably nobody really anticipating a title change, but you're going to get a good long match with all of your favorites, all of the top stars. So if you plonk down your bucks for this pay-per-view, which being a December one, you might be in two minds about, you're going to get your money's worth main event alone. And I think by and large, you would have done. Much like yourself there, Chris, they packed a ton into the 32 minutes. Bit of a theme for the night, I suppose, given some of our other matches. This time they had the time to do it, and they still gave us so much more, almost enough to fill two matches. I really liked how they split this one into three acts. You had the 10 minutes where they all paired off in various combinations. You had Vince opening the door, more on that later, for them to all grapple outside. Then you had the final third act. Now, I do feel I need to talk about some of the bridges between those acts, but I will get there in a second. Well, everybody here really did bring it. I, other than The Undertaker, but I hold him up to a different set of standards than everybody else. I can't fault what they did in this match. Most of them were working 80-20 from the brawling to wrestling ratio. And given their normal in-ring abilities, 80-20, it's going to vary between how they actually manifest that. But I do think that was the marker. And when you've got somebody like Angle in there and Triple H and The Rock and Austin, who's 820 for that style these days anyway, I think merely by dint of existing, you're going to get yourself a bloody fine fight here. And that is what we got couple of slight bones of contention. I've seen some really high marks for this match over the last three weeks, even some getting close to the five stars. I'm not quite in that territory. I do think at the end of Acts 1 and 2, i.e. the in-ring brawling and the by the entranceway brawling with the cars, etc., probably could have served to chop two or three minutes off the end of each of those. Had it been anybody else involved in these matches, I think it would have felt a bit long. Luckily, all of these guys, they've been around the block a few times. And Angle wrestles like somebody who might as well have been around the block a few times. So they could fill the time. I would have just made it a little tighter at those two points. But the guys themselves, they were given the extra time and they certainly ran with it. <sighs> Shall we talk about the door coming off and the big bump now? I suppose we need to. It's just too clever. Normally, I am the first person to commend any wrestling company when they attempt to cover plot holes because they don't do it very often. But here it's just a bit too on the nose. Vince doesn't think this match should be happening. So he's going to tear down the cell bit by bit during the match. But, oh no, he only gets as far as the door. Oh, that's okay then in case everybody wants to escape and throw each other into parked cars for the next 10 minutes. But what are the chances of that happening? Yeah. Okay. And, when it got to about the 20-minute mark and I realized there hadn't been a big bump, then I started to shiver a little bit. It's become a self-fulfilling prophecy. 
And we've talked about it, Chris, ever since the hushed tones we applied to the match in the igloo two and a half years ago, King of the Ring 98. This now, to most intents and purposes, the point of Hell in a Cell matches. And it shouldn't be. It should be the barbarism involved and the fact there's no other way to settle the feud but locking these people into a huge cage. That should be sufficient, but there has to be a death-defying bump. And here it was poor old put-upon Rikishi who had to take it. Took it very well. Did something I wouldn't do. Went up there like a total pro. No disputing that. Bump was ridiculously safe. Okay. In the long term, safe is the watchword, and so it should be. I say it a lot on these shows. No apologies for doing so. But much like Foley being handily supported by the ring in No Way Out 2000, if you need to go through those lengths to make the bump safe, then don't do it. I want all bumps to be safe. But if you need to contortion yourself in order to do so, and there happens to be a pickup truck out there with lots of sawdust in the back parked up against the side of the cell so a 400-pound man can fall onto it just in case he's up there brawling with The Undertaker, then come on, that's too much of a stretch. But Rikishi did it, and... You know, if we do, if we remember him for nothing else, and I fear that's the way it's going, then he will always have that. I want to talk about the finish as well. I think this is not that there are many flaws in this podcast, Chris. Of course, of course, heaven forfend. But the fact that we review month by month and don't review straight after the pay per views, I think that has affected my comments towards this match. If we had been reviewing this on the day, I would have loved how innocuous the finish was where all the big guys are just getting into a scrum for two or three minutes so close to a win and just rolls over to the rock in the confusion and gets the three i love that at the time that all of this goes on for half an hour they've been through the war of all wars and kurt angle just crawls across puts his hand on the rock and there you go lovely jubbly if that had been the basis of the story going forward onto the tv it would have been great however as we'll talk about later, the story coming out of this match was quite, quite different. So Angle winning like that almost just felt like a formality to get to the end of the match rather than anything more important. That was a bit of a shame. I also could have done without Austin Stunner at the end. Save that for the live crowd. Didn't need it here. We know what Austin's like. We don't need a reminder at this point. Angle winning is the most important thing not Austin not being involved in the decision. But, again, all of those in mind, they do bring it down from, for example, this one was never really in contention for my match of the year, but it's one of the very best, make no mistake. And if you were one of those who passed on this pay-per-view, and I could understand why, get hold of this one, fire it up for half an hour. Six guys, whether I'm fans of all of them or not, going all out on the last pay-per-view of the year, any time they could be forgiven for maybe going half-ass, it could have been this, but none of them did. A-games across the board, working exactly the right style for this sign of match, for this style of match, rather. And it's got me burbling now, so that's how good it is. Everybody, check it out. Really, really, really worthy main event and an excellent finish to the pay-per-view year. Yeah, I think when I compare this to other Hell in a Cell matches, uh, I mean, the Taker Michaels one um, is one of my favourite matches that I've ever like that has ever been covered 
as part of this project. Um, it didn't have a greater story as that match, that's for sure. And it doesn't have like a, a moment or a spectacle that will live as long as the Take a Mankind Cell match. But like, this is close to both of them for me. Like it's it, it was it was so good. I thought, and it was like the stuff that let it down is the the stuff that you've already mentioned. It's like it's just too try hard for me. Like the they're too clever about that big bump. It's just a bit too contrived. Like it's not unfathomable that with six men they can break out of the door. Like there's a way to do that that makes it just less silly. And there is a bump that you could come up with that Rikishi could take that is as safe and less contrived. Then there's a truck full of sawdust, like (laughs) below the cell. Like (laughs) there is something that you could do there. Um, I think that's like, I feel like they wanted to create a match that was like on a par with that. And because they sort of set out with those intentions, that's what cost this match those five stars in my book. Like it, it was just a bit too, just too contrived. It took me out of it. I, I was like, ah, this is silly. Like rather than just being like, this is an excellent main event match with your six, well, five biggest stars. And uh, I, yeah, I, I also agree. I, I could have done without the stunner at the end. Um, I didn't need to go off the air to Austin's music. Um, <laughs> the bloody Kurt Angle was one hell of a picture to go off the air to anyway. Um, and a, again, a pressing issue I had was kind of like, we we built up this like main event. They were practically like screaming at us like, it's going to be brutal. It's like a match that changes careers. It's going to be epic. This epic main event, six men in a cell. It's never been done. And kind of like we did the match and we went off the air and I was like, it's like, we never did it. Like it's, we were right back to where we were before the match even happened. Like the whole match kind of felt like it was for nothing in a way, because it's, it's like, there was no resolution. The only real resolution that I felt going off the air, and this isn't like resolution in terms of like, there was a swerve and like the story will continue in a different way. It was just kind of like, Oh, like nothing's really changed. Like none of the rivalries have been resolved. No one got a big win over someone or anything like that. It was just, just like, Oh, right. Like it was the type of like, I I suppose in no way like the context of like a six man hell in a cell, but it had the kind of finish you'd see in a TV main event where it was like the, the real, the real ones coming down the road, but this isn't it. And like just a finish to get out of the match rather than a finish that finish for the story necessarily. Um, that being said, I really liked the finish. I thought it was really good and like, uh, pretty innovative as well to have a pay-per-view in that way and just have like this carnage just completely destroy everyone in the match and uh, he just had the energy to roll over and effectively like drape a wrist over the rock's chest and that was enough and like yeah i'd have gone off the air like kurt 
barely being conscious as to what he had done, just sort of clutching his belt, being a bloody confused mess, and I'd have gone off the air like that. Um, I, yeah, I, I have, I've, I've listed maybe a lot of grievances with this match, but I'm kind of trying to justify myself why it wasn't one of my matches of the year, and I think all of those things combined undercut it a bit, but having watched it and then reviewed it and read through my notes and spoken about it with you, I, I regret not putting it on my match of the year list, because I think this was a damn good main event, and it was probably about as good as a main event as you're ever going to see on a B-level December pay-per-view. And I think, um, yeah, it definitely doesn't have the the legacy of the Taker Mankind Cell match. Definitely didn't have the story of the Taker Michaels one. But I think this was more fun than both both of those. Um, and that's a different criteria, but also a very valid one. Um, and I, I think this match could be more than just a vehicle to just keep stories ticking over. So, with the main event in the books, Rory, your overall thoughts on Armageddon and a score rating out of 10? Yeah, nice easy one this month. So, helped by it being in December and having a stellar main event, one of the very best we've seen this year, any year for that matter. Easy 6 out of 10 for me in that regard. One of those where, as I said about the main event, if you took a pass on the show... I can see entirely why you would have done, but give it a second chance over the holidays if you've got a few spare days before heading back to work. I mean, the main event speaks for itself. There's enough on the undercard to keep you going and that it is very much this time a B, a B show, if I can say it. And it treats itself as such up until, and maybe even including the main event, it's probably a bit harsh to be very, very cruel to it there are elements i have picked apart in the last hour or so that if i review this like i said at the start any other time of the year i would ding it on but i'm gonna let it go fruits of the season and all that so for me six out of ten for armageddon with a must must watch main event yeah uh one of my favorite main events of the year like a nine out of ten main event on a pay-per-view that they basically told you going into this is a pay-per-view just for the main event alone so if you bought this show there's no way you're disappointed with what you got um you were told going in effectively this is a one-match show um it was built and promoted as such and i think that match more than delivered um for a B-level pay-per-view, I think kind of like this is like a 4 out of 10 um, like undercard. Um, there's not anything too great on it. With like a 9.5 out of 10 main event for me, um, about as good a main event as you're ever likely to see on one of these shows. Um, and I think a sort of 6.5 out of 10 is where I sort of come down in the middle um, between those two. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, I wouldn't recommend going out your way to watch the full show to anyone, but this main event is must not miss. Um, so definitely te- check out this Hell in a Cell match when you can.
So we move on from Armageddon to the 18th of December edition of Raw as we say goodbye to one of uh, my favourite aspects of WWF TV this year. Uh, before we get there, a bit of context. So we've had the storyline between Vince and Linda McMahon continuing to develop, Vince demanding a divorce, and we learned uh, at the close of the prior episode of SmackDown that Linda had been very ill since Vince demanded this divorce, and that show went off the air with Vince discovering Linda had been rushed to hospital after suffering a breakdown. He initially looked a bit sad, um, but then we got a classic Vince McMahon evil face uh, as the show went off the air. The following Raw, that 18th of December edition, opened with Vince coming out for a promo. He took some of the blame for Linda's breakdown, but feel that Foley and Stephanie should take some blame for provoking him. And Linda deserves some of the blame for being weak and fragile. He says that the divorce is on hold until Linda's in better health. Stephanie interrupts. Uh, Vince begins telling her in more detail about a night he had with Linda in the back of his car, um, which he'd been telling her about on SmackDown the week prior as well. Uh, <laughs> who did you say was in creative control again <laughs> i told you i told you uh vince says that he didn't want to marry linda but he had to because shane would have been a bastard kurt angle interrupts and tells us he's ashamed of stephanie for talking to vince that way saying that children should treat their parents with respect and if he had done to his father uh, what stephanie does to vince he would have been kicked out of the house and wouldn't have won his medals uh foley comes out he takes the mic he he tells Vince that referring to him as garbage, referring to him as garbage, is insulting to garbage, and calls him scum for talking to Stephanie that way. He talks about Vince driving Linda to a breakdown and tells Angle that he'll be defending his WWF Championship tonight against a tough guy, former WWF champion Vince McMahon. Vince and Angle are shocked. Foley departs the ring, and the segment ends after over twenty-three minutes. Um, so throughout the show, we see. Angle and Vince clash over how their match will be going down. Vince suggests to Angle that he take a few shots and Angle go down for the quick one, two, three. Angle isn't quite such a fan of this idea. He tells Vince that he will not be laying down. He won't be giving up his title. Vince tries to remind Angle he's in the WWF and he brought him into the company. But Angle fires back, telling Vince that he has billions of dollars, but he can't buy gold medals. Angle tells Vince he's not getting his title and storms off. So before we get to that main event of Raw... Rory, I think it's important we pause and we discuss some of the uh, intricacies of this Vince and Linda McMahon storyline we've got all over TV at the moment. Vince demanding a divorce, telling people he's going to have a new uh, Mrs. McMahon who's going to be the same age as Stephanie, um, flirting with Trish um, and uh, telling Stephanie, his daughter, in great detail about uh, the first date and uh, some uh, fumbling in the back of his car with Linda and many other aspects of this storyline that are just plain weird. Yes. Least of all, one of the things we saw, which actually did happen when Vince was showing us a photo montage of his history with Linda. One of the photographs had hid, had him done up as a vicar. I'm just going to leave that one, having mentioned it. Uh, I think I think Stephanie herself made a good point, and it's not often I say that these days, when she said, why did the McMahon family always have to wash their dirty linen in public? She's really got the germ of a point there, hasn't she? It's yet another McMahon family psychodrama, and I emphasise the word psycho accordingly. I was going to ask, do we need another one of these? We already know the answer, but it doesn't matter what the answer is, really. And 
the, all of this. Yeah, I know. Money and the miles are the only things that are real, brother. All of that, of course. But this in the same month, the very same month, where Vince apologizes for his infidelities, but he's you know, kept it wrapped up for the last six years. And now here he is on television, openly talking about the new Mrs. McMahon being Stephanie's age and keep up with his sexual prowess. I don't think this is all necessarily character stuff, shall we say? And Vince probably believes it a lot more than, at least on TV, he would let on. So, um, let's say grounded in reality is a nice way to put it. But again, what was that segment, Chris? 23 minutes. 23 minutes, yep. Wow. I mean, that's... I mean, the 20-minute promo, we've got very used to it over the last year, but... Wow, 23, that's got to be close to a record. Yeah. And again, it's all about the McMahons, isn't it? Twas ever thus, twas ever will be. If you're going to buy in to be one of one of the million and million of World Wrestling Federation fans, either you enjoy this stuff, and if so, there are people you can talk to, or you have to endure it. And you know what side of the fence I'm on. Yeah, just a very strange storyline that, I mean... I might be a bit silly here, but like, who is this written for? Like, who? I mean, we know it's the audience of one, but like, I don't, I don't know why I'm expected to enjoy this. Um, sometimes, like, I can tell that like uh, Vince likes this stuff, but like, there's some, there's some form of creative or or just wrestling merit in it um and i don't think that exists here my life was no better for knowing that linda was a good time girl it really really isn't (laughs) and uh of course um the reason really we're going into this is because it it plays into one of the biggest talking points on tv for the month which is what occurs when we get to that main event match between vince and kurt angle for the wwf title they built it up all night um we had loads of stuff backstage um, with them hyping it up and Kurt getting pissed off by the end of it. Vince getting very confident and uh, Foley comes down to the ring. He joins the announcers for commentary. Vince joins Angle in the ring. They go nose to nose. Vince turns. He's got some words for Foley. Angle um, loses his concentration. He also turns to Foley, but Vince tanks Angle down from behind. He jumps around, slides out to the floor and holds up two fingers. He gets on the mic and talks about being a former state amateur champion and scoring two points on the Olympic gold medalist. (laughs) Vince says that it wasn't easy, but he turns and nails Mick Foley with the mic. Angle goes out. He helps Vince beat on Foley and throws him back in the ring. Foley fights back, hits some right hands before Vince comes in with a chair. Uh, Mick tries fighting back. hitting um Kurt and taking Vince out with Mr. Socko, but um Angle nails Foley in the back of the chair and then Edge and Christian run out, get involved in the beatdown, and they hit Foley with the concerto. Stephanie runs out to the ring, she's got some papers in hand and gets on the mic. She asks everyone to stop because she's got something to say that could change his life. She says it could it's papers from the board of directors and it will change the WWF. 
Stephanie announces that Linda has been deemed mentally incompetent to fulfill her duties as CEO of the WWF. And as a result, full authority of the CEO's office has been granted to, you guessed it, Vince McMahon. Stephanie congratulates Vince, saying it's finally official and the two embrace. It's been one big swerve all along. Vince happily tells Linda that business is business and Mr. McMahon is back in control. Vince says that with the power invested in him, he informs Foley that his services are no longer required, gets in his face and shouts, you're fired in that classic Vince McMahon way. Foley lunges at Vince, but Angle cuts him off with a chair shot. Vince shakes everyone's hand and they leave Foley beaten, bloodied and humiliated in the ring. Once Vince is on the ramp, he turns back for one last parting word to Mick Foley. Merry Christmas. And we go off the air. So that is the end of Commissioner Foley. Gone but not forgotten. What a run he had on our screens in this role throughout the year, Rory. Yes, Vince, that really is your baby girl, huh? Head of creative, everybody. Head of creative. Yeah, um, we talk a lot about Foley, as we should. Again, no spoiler spoilers for the awards show in a certain category. So I won't go over it again there because I don't want to be reduced to tears quite frankly 5,000 molecules on the ground I will be if I have to wax lyrical about what we've lost with Foley twice in as many days but suffice to say this it looks like he's going to be coming back at some point Um, his wife is currently pregnant as we record this that is the real reason for his absence still in very good graces with the company I'm pleased to say so hopefully he will be back in the spring Let's keep those fingers crossed. They find a way to put him back in the commissioner role again. But, and once more, it's probably my own pure bias showing. But I just wish it had been a little more dignified than this. You can still tell the story of Stephanie and Vince being in cahoots. You can still have the true McMahon speak of Linda being mentally incompetent. That is such a McMahon phrasing, isn't it? Mentally incompetent. You can still do all of that. You can still say that all power in the company has been transferred over to Mr. McMahon. You can even have Foley realise what's happened and get beaten down by Edge and uh, Edge and Christian and Angle. You could even get him bloodied. I'm okay with all of that. It was the Merry Christmas at the end. That was the twist of the knife that I didn't like. Why not have Vince go back in the ring, try and say that, and then Foley pops up, gives him soccer one more time, and that's how you go off the air. Foley still disappears for a few weeks. You still have the on-air transfer of power to the McMahon family because we haven't seen that for all a few months now. Yeah, he can't wait to see that again. But Foley gets to leave as he has purely, purely deserved. I'm getting emotional again. Breathe, count to ten. Remain one big molecule of roariness with his head held high. The joy, I use that word on the award show, I'll use it again. The joy he has given us over the last six months warranted nothing less, in my opinion. But at least he is going to be coming back, so there is that. Hopefully very, very soon. But um, any heel authority figure I am more than done with right now. And these heel authority figures, whew, dear oh dear. Look, it's, we're heading into WrestleMania season. We've got to have the McMahons in on-screen authority figures. I know. 
What did what did WrestleMania two thousand tell us? If not, <laughs> told us far too WrestleMania much. is about the McMahons. Um, yeah, uh, not not the perfect ending for Commissioner Foley. I agree on the Merry Christmas front. A real uh, sickener to go off the air to, um, but um, yeah, a great run. Foley's been one of the high points of WWF TV in a very good year. Uh, a credit to the man. Um, I mean, he's also had some of the very best matches in the WWF this year. Mm-hmm. He really can do it all. Um, I think he's just been a breath of fresh air uh, the whole time. He's completely redefined the commissioner role in the year 2000. The the idea of like a babyface commissioner is something that could so easily not work in the current wrestling landscape, but it will always work when that guy is mick foley um and that's a, a credit to him and uh as rory mentioned a lot of good words spoken about him on the award show um so in lieu of not wanting to uh tread over familiar ground all i'll say is yeah it's been a hell of a run commissioner foley and uh it uh, gets back soon <laughs> Before we round off uh, the year from the WWF perspective, I always think it's right as we look forward into the, the new year, 2001 on the horizon, the promise of a new year and all the hope that that can entail. Um, Royal Rumble in January and we WrestleMania two short months after that. WrestleMania 17. Um, we're heading there soon. It will be here sooner than we realise. And... Uh, yeah, Royal Rumble. Um, it's often hard because who would like to see win these things? And obviously fantasy booking is a very enjoyable pastime, but so often um, it, it so often isn't how things transpire. Uh, but Rory, I mean, it, it's up to you who you'd like to see win or who you think will, will win the uh, Royal Rumble match. And, and what do you currently imagine the main event of WrestleMania to look like in a couple of months' time? Yeah, this is where being a smart plan, smart plan, <laughs> quite fancy one of those right now, a smart <laughs> fan becomes a bit of a problem because I've seen over the last three or four months what the planned WrestleMania main event is going to be. I was kind of hoping that there was going to be some more on that in the sheets this month, but with it being such a quiet month, there's been very little tittle-tattle to talk of, so we can only go on what we did know before the beginning of December, and that is it looks like we're going to be getting Austin versus The Rock at WrestleMania. I would presume that is going to be for the WWF title. I don't see them having a respect match or anything like that. You keep them both face, you have it for the title. Our generation's version of the WrestleMania 6 main event, if you like. And now that has been mentioned... I think only injury is going to prevent that from happening. So if Kurt Angle with the best will in the world, if he is still world champion again, by the time you hear this show, he's probably done well. I think he's going to have lost the belt by our next recording. If he holds it past the Rumble, maybe a couple of Raws and SmackDown afterwards, he can count himself very lucky because he's not taking that belt into Mania, folks. A year too early for that to happen. I'd love to see it, but he's going to be dropping it to one of Rock or Austin 
in the next few weeks, I think. You probably don't want to have a title change and a huge Rumble win on the same show, so they might hold it back for the February review. Again, maybe one of the Raws or SmackDowns in between, or maybe afterwards, but they're going to get this. As such, Chris, it's hard for me to say who I would like to see win the Rumble, because I cannot... There's nothing coming up before my eyes now that says that whoever isn't the champion going into WrestleMania between Rock and Austin, the other one of them is going to win the Rumble. And Austin's already won two in a row. Rock won in 2000. So if you're looking at it by that law of averages and you want to level everything up, then you have the Rock win in 01. You don't need much of a build to get to Austin Angle. I know that maybe if they do want to bring back the story from Armageddon and prove me wrong from a few minutes ago, that because Rock was pinned, you pivot to Angle Rock that way, then you've got that opportunity. But I think it's going to be Angle versus one of Austin Rock for the title. And the other one who isn't in that title match is going to win the Rumble. I am sure a Mr. P. Levesque of New Hampshire is not going to be very happy with that turn of events. Oh, there goes my New Year's resolution already. <laughs> so, yeah, so, I mean, as you mentioned, I I, I think the, the smart fan uh, is, is fully aware of the, the planned Mania main event. Um, and in your mind, the right way to get to that match, you wouldn't turn or be tempted to turn either of the men heel. If you're doing it for the title, you don't need to. No, no, I, I'm I'm with you on that page. Story-based was... match, possibly, because then you I think you'd struggle to have a reason to keep it face-face. But here, if they're joke, if they're both just battling for the title, then there's no need to even contemplate a turn. Face-face is the way to go. I know Vince has been burnt ever since the WrestleMania six buy rates, barely got above the mid six figures. But I still think you've got to do it. I think if you were going to turn one of them, he'll they would be heel by now. I don't think you want yeah. like a, a quick heel turn before Mania and, and 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 that's that. You'd have if if the Rock was gonna turn heel, he'd have been the driver, put it that way. Like and, Yes. And that and that's how you get to that. Oh, and I if everybody had been. Let's let's not go over that again. <laughs> <laughs> but and, and and Austin, I mean there was a lot of discussion behind the scenes that would he come back as a heel or or quickly pivot to being a heel. And I feel like we're now less than three months from WrestleMania. He would be a heel by now if that was something that was decided as a way to go. And the fact that he isn't says to me that they didn't think that was the right direction, um, which I think is perfectly valid. Um, yeah, so at this stage, I wouldn't be turning either of the two men heel. Um, uh, and really, I don't see necessarily like I, I think because he's obviously back from injury that the better way to do it would be Rock go in as champion and Austin come out um, rather than the other way around or potentially Austin beating Angle before the Rumble and then retaining I wouldn't necessarily do that either but it seems to clear to me that that is the biggest match they could do right now and I think you lose too much because you've not got enough time to turn one or well, not one or both. You, you wouldn't turn both, but to turn. Fuck it, do it heel heel. Why the hell not? <laughs> heel, heel. 
Hill uh, really test the company's resolve there. There we go. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I don't think there's enough time to adequately tell the story of a heel turn for either man. Between now and then. But that will do it for our December episode of uh, the wrestling 20 years ago WWF edition of the podcast. Rory, thank you so much for being on the show as always. Uh, always a great time recording with you. Great analysis, great insight and the like. Um, have you got any plugs for our listeners? I know you're a very busy man. I am. Always a pleasure, Chris, of course. Just before I head off for a smart flan with my cup of tea, just to tell you a couple of things I've got in the pipeline elsewhere. Uh, you can hear me on the Place to Be Nation Wrestling Network. I've got a couple of shows there. Senior video drops every month where I look at an offering from the home video classics section of the WWE Network. Uh, the latest show I did with our very own Daniel DeWitt looking at Super Tape. And another Wrestling 20 Years Ago alum will be joining me on a special show there in a week or so's time. So watch out for that. You can also hear me on the Special Relations podcast over at the Place to Be Nation Wrestling Network where myself, Ben Locke, and Callum McDougall uh, look at all things pro wrestling, really. Bit of retro, bit of new stuff. We throw some live watches in there. A few predictions for Royal Rumble this time. So that's an interesting one. Give it a listen. What else have I got going on? I was also a guest on the Chicken Salad podcast a couple of weeks ago with Ben, where I did my best to try to find some good in Royal Rumble 2006. Uh, sadly, I didn't record that one in time machine mode. So in five years time, I will have to watch it again. Yay me. I was also a guest on the mothership, the, the gold standard, if you will, of pro wrestling retro podcast with Justin and Scott looking at the battle royal at the Royal Albert Hall events. Recorded that one two weeks ago. So do check that one out. And of course, the day job here at Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. Hit us up at Wrestling 20 Years on all your social media applications. January shows will be dropping a bit soon as well, so watch out for those. But there'll be a very, very special bit of programming coming your way in a few days here under the Wrestling 20 Years Ago umbrella. Bit of a clip for now. Over the last seven and a half years, how closely have you been paying attention? And with that, I think that's a great note to uh, end this show on. I have been your host, Chris White. Thank you very much for listening, and until next time, goodbye. Pretending